Well, hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Revelation Wellness Podcast. Elisa Keaton here with you again and excited to bring to you an interview with someone who is going to rock your world. Nona Jones, she is the author of the book, Success from the Inside Out, right? Inside Out, a whole different approach to life. And her story is one of overcoming adversity like you you've probably heard something like it before but not in the details that Nona shares in her book I picked up the book and I didn't put it down I'm not kidding there are some books I pick up put down I get through I enjoy but Nona's book had me all the way in until I was out <laughs> so I got her on the podcast so excited to have her you're gonna be blessed by her story um, she has just talk about overcoming adversity and she's now Facebook's head of faith-based partnership, like faith-based partnerships. Her and her husband are pastors of a church. Uh, the things in, that she has done at talking in, in worldly success, but how God has been the the cornerstone in her life in correction and discipline as well as delight and encouragement. It's an amazing story. You're gonna be blessed, so enjoy it. Before I let you go, we want to remind you, as you heard in a promo there, rest and rebuild. It's going to be here in the blink of an eye. We are going to be in the mountains of, does Minnesota have mountains? What, maybe it has lakes. In the lakefront area of a beautiful uh, retreat center in Minnesota. And I hope you're there. I hope you're there. Jess Conley is going to be there. Yes, you know, the girl for the job. Jess Conley is going to be there. Francie Winslow, Nika Maples, and a host of other amazing faith-based, all-out, living for Christ people. And they want to teach you things so that you're not just coming to a, a retreat to just get information. You're going to be asked to apply it in ways that will be true to you we promise it's it's it will rewire your life so please consider coming swipe up on the show notes register it will it's gonna sell out even in light of what we're coming out of the season wise here in the world we just know god is is not canceled or delayed his plans for health healing and wholeness in the world if anything i think it's been accelerated so we hope to see you there okay Thanks for hanging out again today. Enjoy this, and we'll see you again soon. Peace. Nona Jones, welcome so much to the Revelation Wellness Podcast. I was telling you that uh, I picked up your book, couldn't put it down, talked to our producer and said, find this woman. Go find her. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for even picking up the book um, uh, and for having me. I appreciate this. Has it, has it done well? I mean, the book itself is just, yeah. uh, again, like it's your first one, yeah? Yeah, so I I wrote, let me see, I wrote two or three books before this, but they were just like books I wrote for like a local purpose. So maybe it was like a women's ministry I was leading. So I wrote something for that. Um, this was the very first like major release. Um, and it's just been so incredible to hear stories from people who I don't even know who are like, your book changed my life. I'm like, really? It's like, really? Um, That's just incredible. Isn't that though, like as God, his word says in Revelations that the testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. Like you hear yeah. someone says their story and it breaks loose something for someone else. It's so powerful. Yeah. yeah and my, my, my goal was honestly exactly that was just to share, share, share my faith journey, share the, the finished work of the cross 
I didn't want to do it in like a Christian self-help, self-help way, because I wanted people to see that my story is just a human story. Yes, it is. Uh, but Jesus changed my life radically. Uh, okay. So let's, let's jump in. First of all, tell, tell people um, a little bit about yourself and, sure. and your reason to write the book and some of your story. Yeah, sure. So um, today I uh, do a number of things. My husband and I, uh, we lead a local church in Gainesville, Florida. Um, so I have local roots, but then I also serve as the head of faith-based partnerships at Facebook. So I uh, have a, a globally focused role. I work with um, ministries all over the world um, to help them do ministry through Facebook. Um, and then uh, I have two little boys, 10 and 7, and uh, we're all trying to navigate this online-only world right now with right. online uh, but yeah, very, very busy life, very blessed life. But I think a lot of times we walk into the chapter that a person's life is on and we just assume that's the whole story. And we just kind Come of, on. that. um, but in my case, uh, the reason I wrote my book is because I actually am a survivor of many years of childhood, sexual and physical abuse. Mm. Um, a lot of just emotional, verbal abuse. It was a very, very dysfunctional, very painful situation. Uh, and I wrote the book because I wanted people who look at me now and who say, oh my gosh, I want to be like you when I grow up. And I have that happen all the time. It's like, I wanted them to know um, that I'm just a product of grace. And if you, if you knew my story, mm. uh, you would know that God is real. Because mm. right now, statistically, I should be either in jail or dead. Um, and yet, you know, here I am. So that's just quick, quick highlight snapshot. Yeah. Yeah. And you would say, I mean, so would you say, <clears throat> I, I, oh, the book, I just, I, I just want to reread the book to everyone. But, <laughs> Um, you, you were diagnosed as a child at what age to be like disruptive and, and, um, oh, yeah. what was the other word? Defiant, it, disruptive. It defiant learning disability. Um, it was pretty early. Uh, I was around the age of six or seven, um, because I was showing up to school and I, I wasn't doing the work. I was, uh, you know, being disruptive in class. I would make inappropriate jokes. I was, you know, trying to get my classmates to talk and have fun when we should have been studying. Uh, but the reason for that was there was so much dysfunction uh, happening at my home. There was so much chaos happening at home yeah. uh, that I couldn't, I couldn't focus, you know, I yeah. couldn't concentrate. So I did act out. And um, part of my, my career journey uh, has taken me into the world of uh, the juvenile justice system and really trying to advocate for girls who end up in that system because most of the time they're acting out, not because they're bad, but because something happened to them. Yes. Uh, and that was certainly my case. Yeah. And then, so you, we hear about, you, you know, you tell the story of the sexual abuse and, and I mean, at a young age, it had, what age was that? It started you? around five. And that was by your mother's boyfriend, correct? Yeah, yeah, at the mother. time. Mm -hmm. And then the fact, you know, just the relationship that you've had with your mom, that it, that the safe place, the places, and this is so true with, with, with childhood adversity is that the people that should have been kind and soft and safe to us were actually unsafe, hard and, not a place where we, so what do we do with all that as as children you know it shows up in some way so that defiant and disruptive thing for us you know i in this ministry we're always telling people you know it's not about the food it's not about the fitness like whatever's coming out of you there's just because there's something going on inside of you and when a child doesn't know who they are and where they can be safe i mean Gosh, and I, I think right now as we're in COVID-19, can you imagine the amount of kids that where school was the safe place? Oh my gosh, you know, I, uh, that breaks my heart, um, literally to, to, to almost the point of tears because, and I pray for these kids every day mm. because I know 
what that's like to to look forward to school, mm-hmm. um, to look forward to that one chance to, you know, to laugh, to smile. Um, part of the reason why I was so disruptive is because frankly, that was the only place I could, you know, I was an only child. So that was the only place I could connect with kids my age. Mm. And, um, you know, I didn't have to worry about being hit or punched or slapped. I didn't have mm. to, you know, watch my bedroom door at night, uh, mm. you know, wondering who was going to come in the room. Like I, at school, that was my my respite. And even though I got all these labels as a problem child and, you know, learning disabilities and all that, and it was still a respite. And so I think about these kids constantly mm. um, because they're behind closed doors. And it's yeah. like, I was actually talking to a, a friend of mine. I have a leadership academy, an online leadership academy, and she's the the provost of it, but she also is uh, an administrator for a, a school district. And she said to me, she said, you know, Nona, ever since we've gone to online school, she said, uh, in this particular district is a lot of low income kids, very economically challenged. She said, uh, we can't reach uh, almost half of our students. Mm-hmm. Like we, we don't know where they are. We've called, we don't know where they are. Uh, we, we don't know what's going on. Like we're trying to get them resources and, and supplies and equipment, we don't know where they are. And so it hurts my heart. I just ask everybody to please pray for these kids Amen. because you know, they don't have any other outlet. They yeah. have nowhere else to go. Yeah. I do wonder what the, <clears throat> what the effects of this will be, you know, after things do try to go back to somewhat normal, which it's going to be a, a new normal, but what will these mm-hmm. kids come back with? Like, where'd they go? Will they be found again? Will they return? Will they have a safe place? And uh, and also reading your book and just hearing your stories, like, Man, let's hear it for the teachers, especially the ones that love teaching. I'm, I just, I just think, and, and and maybe for you. So go back in school. I love the story you t- you talk about. Well, at what age is it when a girl approaches you and asks, invites you to church, and you didn't even know what that meant? No, I didn't. So uh, many people find this hard to believe, especially people who are in the church, but. Uh, when I was growing up, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't know about Jesus, God, Bible, none of that. And so uh, I was in the sixth grade. I was 11 years old. And one of my classmates, um, she just said, hey, you want to come to church with me this weekend? And I thought maybe we were going to go her, to her house and play. I, I didn't know. So I was like, yeah, that'd be great. And so I asked my mom if I could go with her. And she said, okay. And so her mom came and picked us up and took us to this, this building and we pulled up and there were like all these families getting out of their cars and they were like holding hands and walking up and everybody was smiling. And I was just like, what is this? And so then, you know, we walked in the building and people who didn't even know me, like they were like, welcome. We're so glad you're here. They give me hugs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just remember, like, I just immediately felt loved and wanted and welcomed, like something I had not really felt up until that point. Uh, and that's part of the reason why, you know, now that my husband and I lead a local church, I'm so adamant about, I tell our, our team, like, listen, you never know what people are carrying when they walk through those doors. Mm. So love them, see them. Like, don't get so focused on the people you see every week and, and your family and your Come friends. On that you miss the people who just show up because they come in 
carrying burdens and baggage. And I certainly had, I mean, by the time I even went to the church the first time, I had already tried to take my life twice. I tried at the age of nine and I tried again at the age of 11, uh, right before I got invited to church. And so when I walked in that day, um, I, I didn't really feel like I had any, any purpose in this life. I didn't feel like I was wanted. So they communicated to me that I was wanted. And the very first sermon I ever heard preached, uh, the pastor said, God is a father to the fatherless. And that spoke directly to me because my father had passed away shortly before my second birthday. And I, I would cry myself to sleep, just wishing that I had my dad because in my mind, I always thought if my father had lived, I would not have had to deal with what I had to deal with. So when he said that, I was like, who is this God? Like, I want to know who this God is because, you know, I want my father. And I always feel like God was speaking directly to me that day. And so I asked uh, at that age of 11, I said, hey, can I take one of these, these Bible books home? <laughs> because that's what he was reading out of. And uh, I started, uh, I think it was in Psalm 68 is where he was. And I started just kind of reading through the Psalms. Uh, at that young age and just the, the word of God just resonated with me. Um, I didn't understand it fully because it was like the King James version is all these V's and all this stuff. But uh, I eventually got a new King James version, which read easier and uh, just started to read the word for myself. Mm. Uh, it radically changed my life. And that same family, correct? So just to back up and give some people more context, your your mom was not a believer. Even as you went to church, she didn't take any interest in it. It was kind of just a sidebar discussion. Nothing, it was nothing, right, to her. Yeah, she was just glad that I was out of the house so <laughs> she could have time with her boyfriend. Like she mm-hmm. was, she didn't come to church with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, people came and picked me up, yeah. I tell you, and that's so true too, like of, of the fact like just um, that the little ones will lead them. Like, yeah. People that will send their kids to vacation Bible school or whatever, they have no idea. Like, that's the best thing. There's like, whatever, you're safe, you're out, or you're, you know, I know where you are, you're out of my hair. Like, yeah. an invitation is just so powerful. And, well, and sometimes I, I know this to be true because, you know, I, I'm in these conversations. Sometimes churches say, oh, well, you know, let's do these things because then we'll get their parents. Like, let's take care of the kids so we can get the parents. And in my mind, I'm like, no, let's take care of the kids so they Come can on. change their family tree. Like, don't just focus on getting the parents. Like, like make sure that the child has an authentic encounter with God. Because if you do that, they will change the entire trajectory of their family. So don't don't think that they're just going to be the bait. It's like, no, no, no. They're, not, right. they're not the side dish. Come they're on. the main on right. don't don't <laughs> like, yeah don't don't use them to get no. something else no. serve the kid the serve yeah. the child i mean yes. jesus says they're the greatest in the kingdom what a blessing Absolutely. what a blessing oh man okay so this family ends up kind of becoming a, a family that you enjoy did are they the ones that your mom kicks you out like three weeks something happens tell that story and then the time yeah. you spend with them so I was, um, I was like getting deeper and deeper into the church. I was like in the choir. I was uh, helping to lead some of the youth, you know, youth programs and Bible studies, um, got really involved. And then uh, my mom, I believe, cause she's never gotten diagnosed with a mental illness, but I do believe my mother has bipolar uh, because she would go through these states where she would just get super, super, super angry and just really, really violent. And this one particular time, uh, I guess I forgot to wash the dishes or something, and uh, she woke me up. I was I was in my room. I was asleep. She woke me up out of my bed. And she was furious, uh, and she, she told me to get out of the house. 
she called me all these names, started cursing me out. So I ended up leaving um, with, with like nothing. I don't even know if I had shoes on. I had nothing. Uh, I was like 12 years old. I didn't know where to go. And so I started walking toward the church because the church was only maybe like a mile and a half, two miles from my house. It wasn't far. Started walking toward the church. And I remembered that there was a family that lived in a trailer, like not far from the church, maybe a couple houses down from the church. So that's where I went. I just, I just went to that trailer because I knew they were there. And when the mother saw me, she was like, what happened? Like she was just in, in shock that I was out there by myself in pajamas. And so uh, took me in and I tell you in hindsight, man, God is so good because when I was staying with that family and I stayed there for maybe a, a month or a couple months mm-hmm. before my mother made me leave, which is a whole other story. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was staying with that family, even though they didn't have a lot financially, we would sit around the dinner table and they would ask their kids like, Hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? What are you going to major in? Where are you going to go to college? Conversations I had never been in. I was like, what do you mean? What are you going to be? What does that, like, what does that even mean? Mm-hmm. And as we had these conversations and like one of them wanted to be a doctor, one wanted to be a lawyer. I was like, Oh, well, I want to be a doctor because my daddy died from cancer and I want to, I want to cure cancer. So I got in my mind uh, around that table that I wanted to become a, a physician. And I think the time that I was in there, you know, getting that vision to become a physician married with what I was learning about God and the fact that the way we treat others is really a reflection of how we love God. Um, that, that changed the way that I even showed up in school because I was like, oh, well, you know, I want to honor God. So I need to respect my teachers and I need to do my work. And so I, I turned my behavior around and not too long after that, uh, I had some teachers get together unbeknownst to me. I was in the sixth grade still. Uh, and they decided to promote me to all advanced classes. They were like, you know what? We see that you're very smart. And what's funny though, is, um, when I had been labeled with a learning disability in elementary school, I got tested and I tested gifted, but I wasn't doing the work because of the craziness and nobody ever asked why they just were like, um, but yeah, I got promoted to all advanced classes. And, um, I think from that point on, just really started to focus on schools that I could become this doctor and I could, you know, um, have a, have a better life. And the fact that you, I just want to hear people to hear the power or the power of vision, like a vision for just a glimpse. I mean, especially as a 12 year old too, it's almost better. Yes, we have some adversity and lenses, but you're just, you're like ready. You're ready to take on, you know, the the innocence of the youth is like, I can do that. You know, I'll do Mm -hmm. that. So you had the influence of someone around you, the word of God coming into you, a vision for your life. And then the affirmation of some people around you. I mean, it's just the Lord just bang, 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 rocket fuel. I, and that's so, that's why I wanted to write this book because when I, when I look back on my life, you know, even, even though I didn't know who God was, he knew who I was. Even when I didn't have a relationship with him, he was looking out for me. Even when things felt desperate and hopeless and lost, God, had, he had made provision for me in the midst of all that. And I look back on that now and I see that. Um, and that's why I, I try to encourage people like, listen, no matter how dark it may seem, no matter how painful it may seem, I promise you, because God is good and that is his character and that is his nature he will always work things together for your good he always will without fail uh i was reading in uh i think it was psalms chapter 13 this morning i'm I'm reading the psalm again and it was it was powerful because the psalmist kept saying you know how long lord how long 
how long, Lord, how long? But then at the very end, I feel like it was maybe verses six and seven. Uh, he just said, I will trust in your unfailing love. Come on. And that was so powerful because on the one hand, it was like, look, I recognize I've been praying for this thing and nothing has changed. And I still feel discouraged. And I still feel like nothing is going to work out. And yet at the end, I will always trust your unfailing love, God, because when I think back over my life, you've never left me permanently. There may have been seasons where I didn't understand why, uh, but your love always was faithful. Always. And it's, it's like the disciples when... Jesus talks about, you know, eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And it's a hard teaching and they don't get it. And like, yep. it even says that yep. disciples turn back, they go back. Yeah. And then he says, are you going to? And, and I think it's Peter that says, yeah. where am I going to go? Yeah. Like, so where even in go? our impatience, even in our waiting, even though what we believe is not manifesting in front of our eyes, where are we going to go? Yeah. Like, you know, like, you know, life before Jesus ain't mm -hmm. no life before Jesus. Absolutely. Praise God. That's good. And yeah. man. Okay. So then you guys just fast forward. That really was the trajectory. Those teachers, all that environment is such a mustard seed, a mustard seed. And then you were able to really begin to see yourself as a child of God. Yeah. How, what did the, how did you though, what does that relationship look like with your mom now as you are like set on your future and mm. you're, you're, you're still living in somewhat like the valley of the shadow yeah. of death, like living in a home that did not, the two don't, you know, coordinate. Yeah. What, how, what was that like for you? It got very, uh, very tense. Um, so much so that, uh, right after she kicked me out and that family took me in, um, she came to my school. Um, and she was very angry. Yeah. She was like, you know, why haven't I heard from you? That's disrespectful of you. And I was like, you, you kicked me out. Like, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. But she was very angry. And, uh, she actually, um, uh, made me leave that church. She said, you cannot go back to that church. You know, those people are disrespectful. They're trying to, um, they're trying to make you disrespect me. And it was soul crushing because that was the one place where I felt safe, where I felt loved, where I felt mm -hmm. whole. And protected. And so, um, ended up having to leave that church, uh, did not have a church for a few years, not until I think my, um, maybe junior year of high school when I was able to connect with another church. And it was in that other church, uh, that I got really deep into ministry, uh, ended up actually going through a process for, uh, licensure to actually get a cert certification as an official minister of the gospel. Mm -hmm. And, um, my mom still wasn't coming to church with me. But uh, on the day of my trial sermon, uh, she decided that she was going to come. Um, and she actually brought Lee, the, the person who uh, was sexually abusive to me, she brought him. Um, but, you know, I was actually glad to have them there because my hope was that uh, by being in that church space, in that atmosphere, um, that, that God would begin to work on their hearts. Well, I, I did my sermon. And um, before I even did it, I just acknowledged the leaders of the church, which was just standard protocol, just, you know, wanted to, you know, honor them for their work and thank them. And I also recognized my mom. And I said, you know, I'm so glad my mom is here. This is her first time. I'm so glad that she's here with me. And uh, I thought everything was great. But then as we were driving home after the fact, uh, she, she cursed me out. She basically told me that I was ungrateful. She said uh, that she just said a whole bunch of really bad things. Uh, and, uh, she basically was upset because she said that I said more nice things about the pastor than I did about her. Oof. And so that actually solidified in my mind though. I said, you know what? 
when I graduate from high school and go to college, I'm never coming back. Like that's, that's, and I was, I was so distraught, but I decided to channel that distress uh, into ambition. Mm. And you did, yeah. right? I mean, you went on and college, you did, you did uh, kind of fast forward everyone. I mean, Nona has just done incredible things. Like I said, she's gifted. She got a vision. She, she did and went after it. You've worked for um, some incredible companies. Uh, and then, and then what happens, I'd like to fast forward to the, the fact that even in that, because I resonate with your story. I mean, anyone who has overcome adversity of a childhood that has then met Christ and has maybe picked up their design and had their vision and you start going after it. There's sometimes I would think for most a boom an effect where you now begin to work in a sense of kind of this striving or you're overperforming, you're getting your accolades, you're getting identity from that. You're so intertwined with that vision that you don't know where you end and God's just heart for you begins. So what, yeah. what was the work of that like after you, you've come through having awesome things happen in your life? What's it been like to untangle that part? Yeah, well, what I, what I discovered is, um, and it's, it's been years in the making, but what I discovered is part of the ambition that I had was really fueled by the trauma um, because, yeah. because my mom, she made it clear on many occasions that she didn't want to have me. She told me over and over again that I was a burden on her. Uh, and that her life would have been better if I wouldn't have been born. And so uh, I think I internalized that and I harnessed that into kind of a toxic ambition to where it was like, I'm going to be wrong. You know, I'm going to be the best. I'm going to, you know, if, if I was in a, a, an organization, I was going to be the president of the organization. If I was going to uh, be in a class, I was going to be at the top of the class. Like, <laughs> and, yeah. and I look back on my life and my resume and frankly, a lot of the things that I achieved early on was because I I could not experience um, satisfaction. Like I I would achieve and then I would still feel inadequate. I would still mm. feel like I didn't matter. Um, and that's why I had to really dig deep uh, to understand how to how to reconcile uh, past pain. And I'll tell you that the the actual uh, moment that kind of catalyzed my own self-exploration was I was working in uh, political arenas at the, at that time. It was, it was a few years ago. I was working in the political arena, um, was working with, you know, members of Congress, with the, the administration. It was the Obama administration at that time. Mm. And uh, I was at the White House very often, like probably, you know, every other week, certainly at least on a monthly basis. Mm-hmm. Well, I was at a reception. It was a private reception um, for all these incredible leaders. And I was, you know, the president was there, the first lady was there. And, and there I am, I'm looking around the room and I'm like, you know, here I am, I'm in this room that uh, most people would never be in. And I should feel accomplished. I should feel like mm. I've arrived. And yet I just feel empty. Mm. I feel like this just doesn't matter. And, and I went back to my hotel room that night and I just prayed. I said, Lord, I need you to help me because I know that I should feel, I should feel joy right now. I said, and mm. I don't. Mm. And God began to reveal to me that there was bitterness in my heart. There was anger in my heart. There was pain in my heart because of what happened in my past, because of things that my mother did and things that she said to me uh, that essentially were robbing me of my joy. And so I said, Lord, help me 
help me to reclaim my joy. And that's when I began to study forgiveness because I recognized that part of my issue was that there were things that had been done to me, things that had been said to me. And even though time had passed, um, I was still living in my past because of what happened. Um, And I think the revelation that God gave me in that moment was that we oftentimes think forgiveness is, you know, letting, letting someone off the hook, like Mm. just letting them get away with it. Mm. But what I've come to realize is forgiveness is not just letting someone off the hook. It's letting someone off the hook and realizing that it was you on the hook the whole time. Mm. While this other person is sleeping well at night, not thinking about what they did, you know, they've moved on. You're sitting here stewing in it thinking, well, if I don't forgive them, then they'll be sorry for what they did. No, actually they're not even thinking about what they did. Yeah. And so forgiveness is the gift that we give ourselves by refusing to allow our future to be held hostage by our past. Mm. Uh, and the only way that we can experience that power is to choose daily mm. to say, you know what, what you did was wrong. What you did should not have happened. Um, but hurt people hurt people. Come on. And I cannot explain why you made the choice you did. But what I, what I can do is I can decide that it stops with me. And that's the decision that I made. Mm. We have a saying in Revelation Wellness that bad news gets stuck in good bodies. Like mm. we don't, we do the things and we don't even know why. I mean, a lot of stuff is in, before we've even had a full frontal, prefrontal medial cortex formed, we've done a lot of stuff that's hurt us and limbic brain response and things that we do. So you're absolutely right. I say it often that fear or striving or proving someone wrong, it's a good motivator. It'll get it done. It'll do it. It'll drive. It'll put the fuel in the car. It's a good motivator, but it'll never be a liberator. It can never Mm. set you free. It will only set you into deeper captivity and craziness of like, well, kind of like I have everything. Why am I still, why am I still not fulfilled? So the, that bad news getting stuck in your body, it's where God is releasing you to go. There's stuff inside Nona that still hasn't been set free to me, right? Right. Like release it to me. So what would you say? Um, you, you quote in your book, you can't repair spiritual brokenness with physical tools. You can't repair spiritual brokenness with physical tools. When that, give someone an example of in your life where you maybe tried to use physical tools to heal you. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, I can talk about it on, in multiple dimensions. Um, I'll talk about it relationally. Um, I had relationships with, with guys that, you know, they in no way were after the things of God. Uh, they in no way were qualified to, to lead me. Um, I, I talk about, I talk about a situation in the book where I had a boyfriend in college who, uh, he had like no money basically. I mean, I had a car, I had a full scholarship. I had more scholarship money than I needed to pay my tuition. So I had all, I had like thousands of dollars left over every semester. It was crazy. I would give this guy my car, let him, I would put gas in my car for him to drive. Okay. Like I, I would buy him clothes. I would, y'all, I was a college student. All right. And here I am like bankrolling this guy's existence because I, I confused him using me with Mm. him choosing me. Mm. Those are two very different things. But I was like, oh, you know what? He has chosen me. (laughs) He's chosen me. (laughs) But how can you choose what you can't even, like, you can't even sustain me. Yeah. Um, that that's one example. I think another example is, 
uh, I had a situation, um, it was actually a, a few years ago, uh, bought my dream car, loved it, loved okay. my car, uh, very expensive car, but it was, it was the car that I wanted yeah. literally like forever. So I bought this thing and had it for a few years. And then, you know, I got the job at Facebook and, uh, was traveling every week, like every single week I'm gone. So here's this big old expensive car sitting at the airport for like weeks on end. So, um, I just had a revelation. I was like, I'm paying all this money for a car to sit at the airport. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that anymore. So I decided I was going to turn my car and I was going to buy a car cash. Well, once I did that transaction, I was driving this other car off the lot, not an expensive car at all, just something to, to get yeah. from point A to point B. It hit me. Oh my gosh, people are going to see me driving this car. What are they going to think? Oh, and I realized, I said, I have been tying my identity mm. to luxury cars and luxury mm. bags and expensive shoes and mm. all these things because there was a deficiency within me that I had not repaired. And that's what I mean is we use things and people and even experiences and Lord have mercy, social media. Mm. Like we, we curate fiction so that people will think that we're better than we are or we're happier than we mm. are, but that doesn't fix the problem. You can't fix spiritual brokenness uh, with physical tools. And there's the bad news. There's the thing, there's the thing that God's like, I want to get at that. Yeah, that's I want the that. thing that's inside of you. But then, you know, right. we don't know it until this physical world exposes it in us. Like it just right. reveals, it's just here to draw us out into total and completion in Christ. So it's always good news. That's always, always. Good. it's always good news. It's bad. It feels bad. It's, it's in us, but God's always going, I can, I can turn that into good news. And that's when I read your book, I'm like, everything about it just points to the goodness, <laughs> the goodness of God. Another quote you said is uh, that part of healing must begin with self-awareness. Nona, preach, preach it, preach it. That's the one thing we're really big on here because inside of this realm of, you know, being well and what's going on with me, we have to be able to look at ourselves instead of blaming everyone else or pushing yeah. out their problem. If that would just happen, then I would yeah. be. If well, only this, then yeah. instead of what's going on in me. So the fact that you would go back to your room that night after this beautiful presidential gala and go, God, what is going on? Bring yeah. me the awareness and the revelation. I mean, that's just, that just spoke straight to my heart. I'm like, that's a woman who is constantly being self-discovered, like with well, the Lord. It's, I think it's so important for us to know the only person we can change is ourselves. Come on. I mean, we can, we can make suggestions to people. We can <laughs> point things out to people. Uh, we can write diagrams and charts and mm -hmm. we can do analysis, analyses and all that. But at the end of the day, the only person we have the power to change is ourselves. And so uh, what, I've, what I've tried to do in my life is think about, okay, who, who do I want to be? Who's the person that I want to be? And if I'm not being that person, what do I need to change to do that? Now, now and let me be clear, you can't change other people, but something you can change is your relationship to other people. So there very well may be people in your life who don't deserve to be there. There very well may be people in your life uh, who are toxic, who are not safe. Um, instead of you trying to change someone who you cannot change 
all you can do is set the boundaries mm-hmm. and say, here's where I end. Here's where you begin. I'm going to be responsible for everything on my side of the fence. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you decide not to take care of what's on your side of the fence, Mm -hmm. then we can't be in relationship. Mm -hmm. That's what I had to do with my own mother. Um, It was very, very difficult, very, very hard. But what I realized is we have, in order for a relationship to be reconciled, there has to be two things present. We talk a lot about forgiveness. Mm -hmm. We talk a whole lot about forgiveness and forgiveness is important. You have to forgive someone in order to get free from the power of what they did. However, if you are the person who did the offense, Mm -hmm. you have to have repentance. Forgiveness plus repentance leads to reconciliation. Reconciliation. Now, if I repent for something and the person doesn't forgive me, we can't reconcile. If I forgive you, but you've never repented, Repented. you can't reconcile. Like both, both are required. And so... That's why you just have to know what side of the fence are you on and what do you need to do? And all you can do is control you. And, and I feel like too, the Lord just gave me this vision because sometimes we put up a boundary and then we go inside the house. And right. We put up the right. fence and I'll be in here. You want to come see me, but wait, right. you put up a boundary. No, that means come on out to your front yard, plant right. some plants, mow your yard, swing on the swing, say hello, be kind, yes. be present. Be, there's a boundary. And should they come by and want to say hello and maybe talk, great. They're going to come and put a bag of poop. Nope. No, thank you. Thank you very much. There's a boundary. And, you know, but we can't just throw up a boundary and then go in the house. Like you got to show up. Right. We've got to show up. And and I think that's the point is boundaries should not become um, barriers. All right. Mm -hmm. Boundaries just uh, kind of become the lines of demarcation to say, Mm -hmm. this is what I own. This is what you own. As long as you're taking care of your property and I'm taking care of my property, we're good. But when the mm-hmm. moment comes, like you said, that you start throwing bags of, of dog poop mm-hmm. on my property, we have a problem. We and do. I'm not going to be able to come over to your property and mow your lawn and water That's your grass right. and all that That's because right. I have to take care of mine. That's right. That's right. Come on. That's right. Repentance opens the spaciousness. We come in. We've got more right. territory. When That's two right. people, when two people. Mm. Oh, Nona, I could spend all day talking with you. <laughs> I want you to, t- two things, sum up, um, give the message that you want the person to hear that's reading this book. Give them that message. What is it? I, I want you to know um, that success begins within, all right? Yeah. So it, it doesn't matter how long your resume is. It doesn't matter what you accumulate. It doesn't matter what you acquire. It doesn't matter how many followers you have on social. Um, you can have all of the trappings of success, but just be trapped in success. So you, you have to do the self-work and be willing to confront those areas of trauma, those areas of discouragement, denial, deficiency, uh, so that you can get healthy and you can be whole. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, want, I want everyone to know this too, that you know, no matter what has happened to you and even no matter what you've done, you are never beyond repair. You are never beyond the reach of God's grace. Uh, if you're willing to do the self-work uh, God's grace will meet you right where you do the work. Um, and so I hope that people take from my story, the fact that God is a redeemer. Mm. Uh, he redeemed my story. Uh, he's continuing to redeem my story. And um, I just pray that people are blessed and inspired mm. uh, to know that if God can do it for me, he can absolutely do it for you. And the, I was like, if you had only one thing that people could know about Jesus, know about God, what would it be? One thing you want. 
Based on my own life, what I know is that there is no limit to the depths of God's love. No limits. Um, even when we feel alone, uh, he is in our situation. Even when we feel uh, helpless and hopeless, he is in our situation because he loves us. And he, he created us on purpose, with purpose. He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't make extras. Um, God decided the foundations of the world that you were necessary for creation, which means that there is a purpose within you that you have to unleash into the earth. Um, and I believe that the only way to do that is to be healthy and whole. But God's love is limitless. Everyone go get the book. It's called Success from the Inside Out. Nona Jones, beautiful red cover in her yellow. I think you're wearing a yellow dress, is it? Uh, I think I'm wearing like a ye yellow jacket. Yellow jacket. Yeah. It's gorgeous. And you are a beautiful soul from the inside out. Thank you for how you have blessed us today. And we are leaving here stronger. So thank you. Thank you so much. This was a pleasure.